Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome everyone to Man Buns and Jesus, the show where we start by quote unquote planning, but it's really just like a 20 minute conversation about hockey. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laborious, and over there is uh, our host, Ben Oschlager, and we're not talking about hockey today. He's, I, he'll let you know what we're talking about. Where are we going, Ben? Yeah, uh, so there are two things that came to mind when Josh and I were talking about what we wanted to talk about today, um, and specifically when we got to the topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, the first one, uh, my favorite Twitter account to get lulls out of is called Bad Preacher Clips. Uh, I don't know if you've run across this. No, and I feel like I would just get really angry if I did look at that Twitter feed. Oh, it's it's painful. Uh, it's a bunch of uh, fundamentalist Baptists, like KJV only guys. And the, it's the same seven talking points over and over and over again with like new bad analogies every time. Um, and it is, oh, just um, watched a guy lead into, uh, I thought, a pretty, pretty decent point of like, it's maybe important to be aware of what, of what you're listening to. Um, musically because music has an ability to shape and form your brain in ways that things are, are that you know people don't necessarily give it credit for um but then went into how like there are specific beats and rhythms that can uh cause you to uh worship the devil and i was like all right now we've lost the plot <laughs> um you anyway a hobby ben I have multiple. <laughs> um, but uh, it's interesting to see in the context of um, these just ridiculous comments and sermons, how central many of these figures are in the life of their church and how central the sermon is to the life of their church. Um, and they, they talk about the words of a preacher, like it's our understanding of communion, like that it's the, the, the moment where you are closest to God. Um, and whether it's in that maybe unfamiliar of a context to us, or if it's in, um, something that's a little closer to home, I think that culture is very pervasive in our churches that um people feel connected to god through the words of a sermon through the words of a pastor um and that's not necessarily what sermons are for they are not meant to be the thing that draws people in the door 
So Josh and I wanted to today talk about what sermons are for first um, and what we kind of think about and do as we prep um, so that we can give those things. And I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, Ben, and with everyone listening to this. Um, what a sermon is for is something I have really struggled with to the point of sometimes when I'm prepping a sermon, I like, <laughs> I do th go through moments of like nihilistic futility where I'm like, why am I even bothering with this at all? Um, Hold on. I just got a I just got a text from my brother. I'm engaged, FYI. What on earth is going on in anyway? Nihilistic futility. That's Which one? And was he actually dating someone? Caleb, he was dating someone. Uh well, is is dating, is now engaged to someone. And we all knew that he had a ring. I did not know that he was, he had any immediate plans to propose. So um, he's engaged. Send, send him a fancy Dr. Pepper for me. Yeah, um. I, I will do that. Um, sorry, everyone listening. Like, uh, I'm not going to cut this out because it's mildly entertaining, but <laughs> I, I just got this notification on my watch and. Uh, <laughs> um. So I've, I've struggled with what a sermon's for because something that they really drill into at the seminary and uh, depending on who you ask, specifically if you ask Bierman, it's based on maybe some advice Walter gave that was taken out of context. But the, the comment is the gospel must predominate. So I just had a bird fly into my window, sorry. Yeah. That's very terminalist of you. Um, <laughs> so like the priority, if you look kind of where seminary or some parts of seminary education push you is, you are sharing a proclamation of the gospel. You are, the sermon serves as a, uh, a touchstone of the gospel, um, which I struggle with a little bit because the gospel is very simple. Jesus Christ, son of God, died on the cross, sacrificially atoned for all of your sins. You are forgiven. He rose from the dead and, and we will spend eternity in a, in a perfect new creation with him. Like that is the gospel. And the reality is uh, I preach roughly 50 times a year. I, I feel like it would get repetitive. So at some point I'm like, we do the confession and absolution is why bother. But then there's also this thread of, well, the sermon is a place for teaching. And, and the sermon is a place for teaching things about the Bible. But I'm like, how effectively can you really do that in that setting? Wouldn't you be better off canceling your sermon and just making sure everyone sticks around for a Bible study? Um, which I'm not actually suggesting we do that. That's a whole separate conversation. 
but then there's and then there's part of uh is the sermon there to encourage you is it to charge you up so you can go out the rest of the week and i know a lot of people would push back on that but um i think there is an element to that of kind of it reconnects you it recenters you in in the faith and then there's another element where uh the sermon kind of tells you what to do the sermon gives you some instruction on what does it look like to become a better disciple in your life um and i think there's there's some truth to all of these and balancing all of those things that the sermon is supposed to do and also never be longer than 12 to 15 minutes uh because that's the great sin of lutheranism is having a sermon that's too long um like i struggle with that a lot and and sometimes i look at the sermon and i'm like these are just words on paper like what am i what am i really doing here um so you got any clarity for me, Ben? I think yes. I think we can talk about this practically and historically. Because we have lots of old sermons. And to kind of clarify a couple of things that Josh said, <clears throat> one, this Walther guy, uh, Walther was probably the most influential character in the formation of our denomination, the, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, also, probably one of the ugliest human beings to ever have lived. Um, seriously, look up a picture. That is not very nice, Benjamin. It doesn't matter. It's true. Um, take Just look up a picture of him, but do it on an electronic device you don't care about. It will break your screen. Um, <laughs> and then send his picture to all your friends anyway um but walther had some pretty influential uh texts and ideas throughout his time uh teaching and being president of our denomination uh, teaching in and being president of our denomination um and probably his most um well-read text of all of them uh, is a giant called uh, Law and Gospel. And that wasn't written by him. It wasn't written by him, but it was written by him. It was notes assembled from a series of lectures that he gave that were jotted down by his students, then compiled by I a small... Students. I thought it was a handful of students that they compared. I believe I was told it was a student. It was never edited by him. It was one, True. maybe it was a few students just kind of grabbing notes from his talks that he was giving in a very specific context. Yeah. And said, oh, we're going to put these down. And, and every seminary student for the next 200 years is going to have to read all of these. And uh, like, in preparation by, to like there are people who are they hold closer to law and gospel than they do to the book of concord which is nuts because one is a well thought out well reasoned edited carefully put together theological treatise and the other is unedited notes from from, from, op from optional lectures given by the president of the seminary right um anyone insane enough to attend 
that many optional lectures uh, question them. Um, no, Walter had a lot of good things to say in that book. Oh yeah, but, it's not to say it's bad. Yeah, but he is is trying to absolutely drill home a point in a time and in a context where um, turn or burn preaching was very much the rage of the day. And if you've never heard that term before, uh, it is pretty much what it sounds like. Um, the the catchphrase of a lot of those preachers was give them hell in hopes they find heaven. Um, and so they would basically preach a sermon describing the fires of hell, swallowing them for their sins, and then give them like an ounce of grace and Christ in there somewhere in hopes that people in their terror ran to Jesus. Um, and one of the beautiful things about the Lutheran tradition is there have been a number of times in Christian history where not necessarily that specific style, but an overemphasis on the duty of the Christian has come up to where um, the, the grace and love and um, forgiveness, redemption we have in Christ gets lost. And so Walther is trying to instill that deeply within his students in that time, in that context, to make sure that they were um, set apart in the way that they preached and made sure that the people heard the, the care and gospel message of Christ. Um, but in an age where sermons are for the most part feel good um not so much in a gospel sense but in a like um therapeutic sense uh in that they they just they're they're there to make you feel good not necessarily to do anything else um sometimes i think our our gospel preaching our overemphasis on gospel preaching can be a hindrance to us in that we don't set people up with a strong ethical foundation. We don't um, necessarily remind people that there is a dire need for this gospel proclamation. Um, and that balance can get out of whack the other way too. So circling back to what is the purpose of a sermon, um, I think we can look at the early church, look at what they did, look at those old sermons. Um, there are sermons from the church fathers that take scriptural texts, some of them way too analogously um, and basically turning them into metaphor. But um, in many cases, the hope of the church fathers was to explain what was going on in the scriptures to the people that they were teaching uh, at a level they could understand. And I think that is the primary function of the sermon. That's why we put it where we do in the service. It follows the readings. And then our job as preachers is to explain what we just read from scripture. Um, and that then reminds me of make it applicable of a quote from um, from Resident Aliens. 
and it says, the, and I have it like on tap because I've used it in so many of my academic papers at this point. Um, this is by uh, a, a really good theologian uh, named Stanley Hauerwas and someone whose last name is Wilman. I don't remember his first name. I think Richard. Um, but it says this, the challenge of the gospel uh, is not the intellectual dilemma of how to make an archaic system of belief compatible with modern belief systems. The challenge of Jesus is the dilemma of how to be faithful to a strange community, which is shaped by a story of how God is with us. And when you say like the early church sermons and kind of what those look like, I want to go even like if you look at how Paul, we, we don't really get a lot of his messages. I mean, we maybe get some examples on like Pentecost and stuff, but we hear him kind of talking about the oh, aftermath Peter. of his messages. Peter was Pentecost. Paul Paul was still Peter a... Peter was Pentecost, yes. Paul, Paul was still a murderous guy named Saul at that point, killing and persecuting Christians. Um, but what these sermons were, were kind of some of these balances we were talking about, because fundamentally it was telling people who didn't know or barely knew about what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he had accomplished for them. But then also, because the follow-up question is, okay, I believe in this guy, Jesus. I, I believe he, he did what, I, I believe he did what he said he was going to do. I, I believe in his promises. Now what? It's the same question. Israel came out of Egypt in, in the Old Testament, in the Exodus. And the, when they went into Egypt, it was one family. And when they left Egypt, they were a nation. Mm -hmm. And the question became, how are we supposed to do this? The question became, like, we don't have, uh, they didn't have a king because Pharaoh had always said, this is how you're going to live. So now they're like, how are we supposed to live? And God gave them the Ten Commandments. And in the same way, the early Christians, there this question came up, okay, we're Christians, now what? Like, what are we supposed to do? What does this mean for how we live? How do we interact with each other? How do we interact with God? And part of Paul's messages to them and, and the other disciples and the other leaders in the church was, here's how, here's what a Christian looks like. Like, here's the life we're called to. Um And I think that's, I think that's kind of maybe a big part of what a sermon is, is what does a Christian look like? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus? And a big part of that is we trust his promises. And the gospel is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. But part of that is also, well, what does it look like to confess Jesus is Lord? I think maybe a way to summarize this that came up in my head you can tell me if you like this or not um our responsibility as preachers the responsibility of a good sermon is to make our god and his plan for us less mysterious to the greatest extent possible i i really like that um and what I think that frees us up to, because I struggled with, circling back, in, at the seminary, there's this huge focus 
gospel has to predominate your sermon. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you're preaching a text, the gospel does not predominate that text. And I was, I'm really thankful. <laughs> and I hope that he meant to convey this message, because if not, this is what I took away. My fourth year at the seminary, I took a class called Creative Preaching um, by Dr. taught by Dr. Glenn Nielsen. Okay. Your boy was in that class with you. Don't forget. That was a great class. I, it was I, a great class. One, one of the classes I'm, I'm really, really glad that I, I had the opportunity to take. And something that he kind of drilled home is. Always have dad jokes on hand. No, gross. <laughs> was above anything else, be faithful to the text, right? So, and this, this means so many different things, but part of that is if you are reading from one of Paul's letters and the letter is talking about how we are slaves to Christ, not slaves to sin, and he's talking about Christian living leaves behind this uh, a lot of this immorality of, of what you were before you were Christian, that is a that is a sermon that should not be all well you god loves you and you are forgiven that's part of it that's an undercurrent there but paul is primarily talking about here's what it looks like to live as a christian so if you're preaching on that text your driving purpose is here's what it looks like to be a christian mm -hmm. and i think for what is the purpose of a sermon i think that's a perfect way to put it to make more clear the mysteries God has revealed to us in scripture. And sometimes is that going to be just pure gospel? Yeah, because there, there are parts of, of scripture that are just pure gospel. Easter sometimes, Sunday. Easter Sunday is a great example. Oh, yeah. Jesus rising from the dead. There is no law there. There is only only gospel, only victory. Um, but sometimes, like if I'm if I'm reading from the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be gospel there because there is always gospel and we do always point to forgiveness, but the, the weight of that message is going to be, you should love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't just avoid murdering. You should seek to build up your neighbor. You should live a life that is so honest that no one questions your word. So like that, that was a really helpful, I think that's a really good way to put it. And that, that, kind of attitude toward the text has been really helpful for me um something i and want your take on with that though sure in conjunction with this is uh and i think this rubs against how short i i shouldn't say it. well how short people would like our sermons to be okay biblical literacy sucks in society. yeah yep uh what i tell people because I, I do believe there was a time where most of the big stories from the Bible you could reference without explaining. Like you could say, oh, yeah, remember Exodus? Like mm -hmm. the Exodus reference I made earlier? You might be listening to this and you might be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, look in the book of Exodus, read the first several chapters, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> you can't assume, that I, I tell people when they're like, where are you at with this biblical literacy thing? I said, when I'm writing a sermon, there are two stories I think I can safely assume that people know. If you're sitting in, in a church, you probably know the Easter story. 
Like you do probably know Jesus died on a cross and that he rose from the dead. Or just like a brief, like a brief summary of the Holy Week. Yeah, that's probably safe. And then the Christmas story is probably safe. And I say probably because I'm there. There are folks out there who don't know those stories, but they're probably not listening to your sermon. I think there's a handful of others that we can maybe toss in there too. Um, David and Goliath. Just because, like, it's become its own phrase. May see, I think people can pick up on context, David and Goliath, but I think, mm, I maybe I'll I'll give you a maybe on that one. That that one's just cultural enough that I think people tend to pick that one up, and then there's like a next tier of like it's 50-50 with like creation and Jonah, and Daniel, and the Esther, lions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the, the big ones. Well, and my uh, so my my statement slash question is we have to deal with that in our sermons. Sure. Like, especially if I'm preaching out of the Old Testament, how and I guess does this give us permission to have sermons so that we can explain what's going on? Because you can't assume that people that you can just quick reference uh biblical events and people will know what you're referring to i'm just saying send this to my head elder so he's like oh i guess you can have a 30 minute sermon i'm gonna say everyone in my congregation listening to this is panicking right now they're saying ben please tell him no you're ready for my very lutheran answer you know what's coming don't you i do know what's coming that's if you're listening i gave ben a very unimpressed look my facial expression was uh one bordering on disapproval <laughs> what am i gonna say josh uh context is key no i was gonna say it depends um, uh that's what i was initially gonna say you were gonna say but then i was like oh that's too colloquial he's gonna he's gonna fancy it up because no okay no yeah. it depends okay. it depends um and what does it depend on Depends on context. Um, some places have a better culture of biblical literacy than others. Um, and it it very much depends on what culture you are preaching in. Um, the church that I did my vicarage or internship at in Omaha, Nebraska, we had a lot of people who wandered away from the faith early in their life and were just coming back to it, who had a very low level of biblical literacy. We had a lot of people who were never really a part of the faith, who for obvious reasons had a very low level of biblical literacy. Um, and then we had some lifelong Lutherans um, who were... Who knew their Bibles better than a seminarian. Exactly. Who had been studying the scriptures every day on their lunch break for 60 years and um, knew the Bible better than than me, some random 24 at the time year old scrub. Um, and in that context, we took the time to explain the story because the majority of our audience needed that. The majority of our audience needed that level of understanding 
before we could start to get into revealing the mysteries of God that were given to us, like revealed to us in that text. They needed some background. They needed some history. They needed where this fit into everything. Um, And for my congregation right now, that's one of the reasons you'll notice sometimes our readings are a little bit longer than you would think to include some of that context that Ben is talking about. So you get, Mm -hmm. even in the reading that isn't preached on, you get a little bit more of the fuller picture. Yeah. Um, But if you're in a place like here in Michigan, we've got the town of Frankenmuth, um, which is kind of a joke in in our denomination for how Lutheran it is. I believe the population of the town is like 3,000 and the church has a membership of 5,000. And there are multiple other churches from our denomination within like 10 minutes of the town that are also reasonably healthy. There's a Lutheran school at the the church in Frankenmuth that has like 500 students. Um, The place is a Lutheran Mecca of sorts. And so if I was preaching in Frankenmuth at at St. Laurent, or St. I would have no problem assuming that the majority of my audience knows the scriptures well enough and and if knows they, Lutheran theology well enough. And knows Lutheran theology well enough that I could get into the weeds a little bit or a lot of it. Um, and would hopefully have the awareness that if their guest didn't um didn't have that level of background, they'd be willing to fill them in. Um but almost every church is going to fall somewhere between those two. And you have to know where you're starting from, what you're getting to. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a big part of what the, the pastor's responsibility is as they're preparing for the sermon and there's to interpret their context. There's an interesting educational theory that actually helps with this. And if you're listening to that, because I know a couple of pastors listen to this, if, if you find this difficult, like I think is reasonable to do, um, there's a guy named Lev Vygotsky, who um, he talked about something called zones of proximal development. And this is looking at a class, you, and this was like an educational setting. You look, what is the low, th- like how low can you get the threshold in that, like how easy can you make it for people to interact? And then at the same time, how high can you raise the ceiling? so that everyone can get into the lesson, but then there's also potential for people to reach for the stars as far as what understanding they're pulling from it. Um, and some of the work he did with that is, is helpfully applied to sermons. Um, hold on, I had something else. Oh, so I'll, I'll share the, this with you because this is a concept that my congregations really like. Um, I never really answered your question though. Oh, um, uh, before, like, let me throw this out with the biblical literacy thing. Okay, go ahead. Um, when I have a more academic topic before me, that is like, there are different levels of understanding with it. What, how I structure the sermon is I ask like a summation question for each concept within the bigger idea. 
and I have little question card, like scanner cards that I give out to the congregation that I can hold my phone up from the front of the room and it'll tell me like what percentage of the room got the answer right based on which direction they hold their card. And the deal I make with the congregation is if I ask the question and almost everybody gets it right, I'm going to skip that part of the sermon and we're going to continue on because you guys get this part. So we're going to move on to the next part. Um, so also one of the shortest sermons I ever preached because I did one and the congregation already understood like half of the half of the thing. So they got half a sermon that week. Um, anyway, sorry for interrupting, but. No, that's I, I dig that. I dig that, like being able to get feedback in the middle of the sermon. I've um, I think it was last year for Trinity Sunday, um, which is the one Sunday a year where we break out the the bruiser that is the Athanasian Creed. Um, it takes like five minutes to recite, which is why we don't. Don't, don't use it every week. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, the beginning of my sermon was, what questions do you have? I'm going to preach on Trinity here, but it's going to help me understand what I can do to teach you if, if you show me what questions you have. Um, and then I can give you a bare bones sermon, or I can give you something that is actually going to help you understand more. And so I fielded questions for a couple minutes and then preached. Um, I like, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to just lean into understanding the, the theological and biblical literacy of your congregation. Um, even if it's mid sermon, like that's, that's never bad. Um, Anyway, um, to finish your question to me from before, though, can you preach longer? Um, I think there's a secondary piece to this that needs to be considered above and beyond just how much time is it going to take to explain my point? And that is what what is the witness of your sermon becoming longer if that makes sense like what is your sermon being long say about your service um because i would argue at some point it's no longer worth it to just keep expanding the sermon um at some point it becomes worth it to just say like here is a theme that you should be aware of when you read this text um here's some bits about it that will hopefully make this easier for you to read and understand um in half an hour we're going to have bible study going into the the depths of this text um but for now here's what god reveals to us about himself here in brief um and you just you call it a day at that rather than trying to go into extreme depth on on anything because to me one of my biggest frustrations about churches especially churches in the united states is how much they tend to revolve around their pastors and that bugs me because i don't like being important i think you're important ben i just want to teach and remind people that they're forgiven 
That's pretty important, Ben. Uh... God used a donkey to tell Balaam what was what. What do you mean? He's still using a donkey at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> For those of you in my congregation that hear this, I appreciate that joke. It's not offensive to me in the slightest. Um, <laughs> For anyone who missed it, that's the church Ben's at. I, I was calling him a donkey. Yeah. God, I mean, seriously, though, God used a donkey to proclaim his word. Um, I am just another set of lips. That's... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like I, I think I'd prefer the donkey analogy, actually. Um the the reality is that if I were to step down from Good Shepherd, any person with a reasonable training should be able to step in and continue the work of the congregation with little to no uh missed steps along the way my senior pastor on vicarage when he the associate pastor and i were driving to a conference in the same car he made a comment akin to if a meteor strikes this car right now it is my hope and prayer that we have set up saint paul which was the church um in such a way that the only interruption to what saint paul does is they're going to have to find someone to preach and do the sacraments like mm -hmm. everything else, you know, the church should be self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much of that, that mindset as well. Um, and I think the biggest detractor for me in terms of long sermons is that the longer you make them, the more they seem to be central to a service. And the more they become central to a service, the more they detract from the work of God in that service, forgiving, uh, redeeming, and blessing. Um, and that should be the center of our service, is walking away refreshed, knowing that we are forgiven and we are sent. Um, and if your sermons become such a center point that that is forgotten, shorten them. Go five to seven minutes. Um, if you're at my congregation and you hear me say this and you're like, yeah, do it, tell me. Um, I'm tempted to preach for like five to seven minutes and call it a day. Because I think I can say what needs to be said in a short amount of time about a particular text and not necessarily let the gospel predominate in the way that some people abuse Walther to, to let it be, but let God's promises predominate. Um, his promises of forgiveness, his promises of, of presence in that place, his promises of blessing, um, his promises to hear us in prayer. Um, let this be a time where our, our focus is on our proximity to, to God with one another. Um, I do. As we receive his gifts. 
I'm going to push back on that just a little bit because I think in, I, I don't disagree with you in principle. Yeah. I'm going to use this to kind of segue into what goes into a sermon, at least for me. And sure, I'll, like full disclosure to like everyone listening. Um, I'm not delusional. I'm pretty sure there are like three people who do who do everything I do that goes into a sermon. Okay. Um, at least explicitly. Okay, so in, in when you're at the seminary, uh, residential education, and you take your first home class, you have a sermon prep project, and it ends up being, it's like a 30-page paper where you write out all of these different things about a text that you're going to write a sermon on, mm -hmm. okay? And they say, in, in the seminary, they tell you, you're never going to do this again. These are things you should think about, but you're never going to write them out, um, but I know myself, and I know that if I don't put checks in place, I have a tendency to um, to go more quickly through stuff than I should. So what I did, uh, and I, I kind of took advantage of some work done by a friend of ours named Connor, there's a workflow in Logos, which is a, a Bible software that I use heavily. And it can, I think mine, because I'm on the seventh version of this, it's called, it's a workflow called Sermon Prep 7.0. And it has I, 29 questions that I go through and I read material on and I try to answer about my text before I write a sermon on it. And so I look at what are my first impressions of this text? What do I kind of like thinking of the congregation? What are they going to hear in the text? If there is a, if there's a new person in the church who has never heard anything about the Bible before, what are, what's their reaction to the text going to be? Um, this includes a textual study. Look at the text in, in a, the original Greek or Hebrew. Is there anything there that I need to bring out? Um, is there anything that the commentary, I'll read a couple commentaries on it. Um, I'll look at the the context, you know, uh, if it's 1 Corinthians 6, what was Paul doing in 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Corinthians 7? Like, where does this fit in the larger story? Um, and then even, and then from there you step, well, what is the text teaching? Like, what's it trying to say? How's it saying it? Um, and then you kind of look at it from a theological lens. Like, what has this been used for theologically? Um, does the Book of Concord reference this? Does Peeper's Dogmatics reference this? Thankfully, I have Logos automatically tell me if it's referenced in those two other books. Um, uh, what is the law and gospel in the text? What are the different kinds of righteousness? It's like, I go through all of these questions um, before getting to a sermon. And where I'm going to kind of lead back to you is the last three sections on my sermon prep are emotional impact, focus and function, and structure and rhetoric. Okay, so emotional impact are some questions I, I added after a conference I went to a year ago. Um, and that is, how are you going to not just teach people something, but kind of impact them with it? Um, and then all of that prep up to that point drives into a focus and function statement. If you are in my congregation, you can know with any given sermon, I am trying to communicate two points. That is it. What has God done for you? And, and what kind of are we challenged? What are we encouraged to do uh, in, by the text? 
And you might say, well, so far that agrees with Ben. You can definitely communicate two points in five minutes or less. You're correct. I could. Heck, I could just read the two sentences to you and we could move on with our lives. But, and here's why the last step is structure and rhetoric, is reading those two sentences is going to impact you in a meaningful way. And I'm going to say, probably not. And here's why I, I kind of defend some longer sermons, because when you approach, when you bring things out in different ways and you kind of craft this, this message that doesn't just say something, but says something in a very intentional way that sort of pulls people along to a conclusion, I think you can have more impact on someone mental. And that's why I, I really, I live and die by sermon structures. I'm, I have an, a document open right now because I track them to keep my, again, to keep myself accountable. I have 26 different sermon structures that I have used um, in the past, uh, in the past, what, two, call it two years that I've been at Edgewater. Um, I know the last time I used any one of them, and I can tell you how many times I've used it. Like uh, last week, I used a comparison and contrast structure that kind of forces you to reconcile differences between two things. Um, I've used that seven times since I've been here. I've used the Lowry loop seven times, and that's a very emotional structure that seeks to make you feel strongly about an issue. Um, and here's here's my big one, and here's why I say I, I think sometimes you need longer than five minutes. Um, I love narrative sermons because narrative sermons, kind of like a parable, they can communicate so much more than just the words you're saying because people have emotions, people picture things, people fill out the rest of stories. You can say just a couple words and they can fill out so much more understanding from it. But stories take a long time to tell. If you write a good story that's bringing, that's bringing in the biblical message, that's kind of sending out a, a message that's going to impact people, those take time. Uh, the longest sermon that I've ever recorded was a uh, was a multiple story structure. So in in that kind of structure, you're telling more than one story to bring up to bring people to a central point. Um, and it was a 32 minute sermon. It was a long sermon. No one complained because people like listening to stories, and that's not really a burden for most people. Um, but stories take a long time. So I, I think that sometimes, yeah, five to seven minutes, that's all you need. I think sometimes if you're really trying to convey the same impact the text has in a modern context, I think sometimes you need a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. That was a long, I, that probably was a longer rant than I intended, but. I mean, you got your point across. And I think to some extent, you're right. Like, again, it depends. It depends. Um, can you say what you need to say in five to seven minutes in a way that's going to be memorable? If so, great. If not, take a little more time if you need to. But again, stay focused. Yeah, stay focused. If your sermon's 20 minutes because you rambled for 12 minutes, your sermon should have been eight minutes. Yeah, your sermon's twenty minutes because you had you had constructed this path to get to your point that happened to take twenty minutes. 
I have less of an issue with that. Then it's just a question of, are you competent at planning out a path or are you just meandering through the garden for no reason? Yeah. Um, oh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. Um, again, though, just the, the focus ultimately has to be on God in the service and not you or your wisdom or your ability to tell a story or whatever the case may be. Um, and to me, it's pretty evident when my sermons go from helpful to distracting um and that usually is when people walk out say good sermon pastor i really enjoyed that one i had them laughing several times throughout the sermon whatever the case may be they they seem pretty engaged and then i ask them so what'd you learn and then there was nothing my wife hates this but if if we drove to church together which we don't always because i obviously go stupid early yeah but if we drove together on the way home i always ask what was the sermon about and she knows she knows that there's always a god did this and we are called to do this like there's always kind of two points like that and i am i'm and she has an advantage right because she knows me she knows how i communicate she does not hear the sermons ahead of time um and for the most part, she can tell me what it was about. Mm -hmm. But what I want to be really clear with everyone, and speaking to this to your members as well, Ben, and I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but I might, I might accidentally. If at any point she's like, I can't tell you, or she got a different point than the one that I meant to communicate, because there have been times she's done that, and I'm like, well, that's not what I was shooting for, but okay. Um, and she apologizes. No. If my, if the point that I meant to communicate wasn't communicated or it didn't stick, that is my fault. That means I was, I was not up to the task, uh, whether I didn't write a good message or I didn't communicate it enough, right? That is on me. So if you walk out of the sermon and you're like, I don't remember what it was about, that's on me. Unless you weren't paying attention, then it's on you. Well, and even that to some extent, if if I'm losing people's focus, I need to do a better job retaining focus, right? I I either need to be more engaging or I need to... Um... Some people just happen to be at the late night baseball or basketball or football or game right. or something last night. But... And this is something I've picked up from my radio days. I strive for like a conversational tone because you don't fall asleep in a middle in the middle of a conversation with someone. Challenge accepted. Huh? Challenge accepted. Jeez. I will say, because I keep track, there are two people who have ever fallen asleep during my sermons. One of them was an old dude at a Wednesday night service in Missouri. Um, 
I was clapping in the sermon to make a point, so I clapped extra loud right next to my microphone to wake him up. Um, and the other is my brother. And I'm like, yeah, well, there's only so much I can do, man. I think I've had more than that, but not by a lot. Anyway. Um, they want to see what the Sasquatch has to say. That's fair. It's like a zoo exhibit. <laughs> Come see the talking Sasquatch. Uh, we catch him on camera just for you. I don't know what accent that's supposed to be, but I don't anyway. know either. But I think that's maybe a good sign that we are losing focus on this episode and we should uh, go <laughs> to takeaways. Yeah. Um, Josh, you got a takeaway? I do have a takeaway, but before we get there, I, I want to actually post something to our listeners. Um, sure. I want, and this came up way earlier in our conversation, but if you are willing and you're listening to this podcast, um, if you could comment, either if you're watching us on YouTube or I think Podbean, you can comment directly under the thing. If not, uh, go to our Facebook page. Uh, I'll make sure to actually post this episode on the page so that you can comment on it. I would be interested to hear from you um your opinions because your opinions matter on this if you're listening to sermons maybe even more than ours do um what do you think a sermon is for and kind of how long and what determines how long a sermon is allowed to be um and if the only answer for that question is it can only be 10 minutes because i have brunch to get to do some self-reflection on that <laughs> but uh that's something I, I want to put on you guys. If you could, because uh, I'm I'm genuinely interested when you walk in for a sermon as someone who listens to sermons. What are you looking for? What are you listening for? Um, so with that, my takeaway is um, that maybe at, from a preacher's perspective my desire to nail down exactly what a sermon is and what a what a, a sermon should be maybe i should loosen my grip a little bit that's my takeaway kind of self-reflective but you know i'm okay with that okay i i think my takeaway and this is maybe a bit more targeted at our audiences um you've heard my take I want to make sure that God and his will for you are less mysterious. Um, my encouragement to you is try and come out of every sermon with something that has made God or his will for you less mysterious. Um, to quote a great man, figure it out. Figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but with that, uh, this is the... Uh, what's the passive aggressive part of the, the podcast. Uh, if you know somebody who is trying to figure out why people are willing to sit and listen to a pastor talk for 15 to 20 minutes, um, send them this episode. If your pastor doesn't seem to have a point when he's uh, giving his sermon, send him this episode. Yeah, if you're a pastor and one of your congregation members sent you to this, I hate to break it to you, brother. Uh, you need. I to think you suck at preaching. <laughs> yeah, like, find a point, 
don't ramble and uh, be intentional with your message. Yeah. Uh, and if, if <laughs> and if you have a problem with that, and your congregation member sent you this, that's on you. Come at me, bro. <laughs> uh, and if one of us gets this podcast, it'll be a real shame. <laughs> Anyway, I can already think of the people who are going to send me this podcast, and I say again, come at me, bro. Anyway, um, like, subscribe on whatever pod, podcast platform that you use. It might just be a way for us to reach some audience that may not otherwise hear a, a Christian or even Lutheran perspective on some of the things that we like to talk about. Um, reach uh, out to us. A challenge for you guys to share us. Yeah. Whatever social media platform you're active on, share share this podcast or share specific episodes of this podcast. I would love to see our subscriber count jump. Yeah, not because we need to be heard more, but because like we love expanding these conversations and getting more voices involved. Um, and speaking of getting your voice involved, if you have something that you want to talk about on the podcast, or if there's something that you want to hear us talk about, uh, reach out to us either directly or through our Facebook page. Uh, it's the Man Buns and Jesus Facebook page. Um, you can find us on Facebook. <laughs> um, you can share it on your Facebook. You can share it on the Facebook. Um, but uh, we're getting slap happy, and this episode's already too long. So, uh, Josh, let's go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're done. Ha, <laughs>